You're listening to the Around the Lens podcast, the home of high-quality, roundtable, visual journalism discussion about the news, topics, and gear related to our career field. Now, here's the host of our show, David J. Murphy. Hello and welcome to episode 221 of Around the Lens. I am your host, David J. Murphy. Joining me this week is my co-host, Travis Keys. Hello, Travis. Good morning from New York. <laughs> how you doing today? Uh, you know what? You made me realize I should have, I forgot how, I was going to start my show a specific way. Do you know how I was going to start my show? Uh-oh. All right, we're starting right over again. And go. Hey, how's it going, all you cool cats and kittens? This is Around the Lens, episode 221, and I'm your host, Dave J. Murphy. This is the retro special. Good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> well, actually, I'm the man you, talking. we got somebody from Vietnam, although it's not morning there. It's evening. Nope. Just like it's evening here in South Good Korea. Evening, Vietnam. Yeah, we actually got somebody who's you know in the same general time zone area as me, so that's nice. Um, we did have Evelyn. You, you might see her face here, but uh, unfortunately we had some connection issues, so not going to be able to have Evelyn on tonight unless she uh, somehow miracle jumps back in later on during the show. But uh, Travis, how you been, buddy? What's going on? What's new with you? Oh, you know, I just been hanging around the house. Uh, you know, I think you know, I, I nothing, man. <laughs> We're stuck in Travis. Travis, you can't be a homebody all the time, man. Get out there, go experience life, man. Quit, quit hanging out inside all the um, time. This is a great big world out like there, a, buddy. You know, it, it finally we had a, like a little sun yesterday with you know, uh, you know, and it was uh, you know, fifties, which was nice. But uh, it, it's been rainy and cloudy, and I had. Uh, I lost power for like two days yeah. when with the, the big storm that kind of hit, and that was oh, that was our last episode. I got knocked out for two days, uh, our yeah. power here, and so it's nothing like being quarantined and having to stay in your house and uh, losing power. That's a lot of fun. You still had phone, right? You had your phone worked, so you got internet that way. Well, luckily, I had a small. I have a small generator, oh, okay, so I good. was able to get like the TV up, and I would t use my phone as the internet and stream like YouTube to the TV, and then I had one light on the generator and a mini fridge, so. But no running water or, you know, hot water or anything like that. So the rest of the house is kind of oof. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But we're here. We're alive. It's good. You know, quarantining, as they say, and uh, trying to get by and uh, doing my other shows and trying to stay busy and some personal projects and stuff like that. Cool, cool. Uh, well, that's awesome. Glad to hear. I've been basically uh, keeping indoors myself, although... Thankfully, things have gotten a little bit closer to what you know could be considered a sense of normalcy here. Um, in that, we have had—I um, was able to go see a movie this past weekend in a movie theater. So, you know, that was a nice, refreshing thing to do. Haven't done that in a long time. Uh, went with the family to saw the Trolls World Tour. So, definitely uh, a good movie for the kids. The kids like that. What I heard is the kids didn't want to see it. it was just you. You know, you know, it's like I, I love that 3D animation. You drag them kicking and screaming. Right. Like, oh, we don't want to go to a movie theater. We don't want to see trolls. Like you're going to see it. Do we have to wait through the end, all the credits? Oh, come on, Dad. <laughs> there's an end scene. What if there's an end yeah, scene? No end scene. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, anyways, coming to us now is Evelyn Hochstein. Hello, Evelyn. Glad Yay. you could make it. Yeah. Sorry. I guess I had some technical difficulties i'm not sure why but sitting in my house in dc uh but here i am you can lean, you can lean further into the camera 
I could lean further. <laughs> uh, wouldn't it be an episode of Around the Lens without technical difficulties? Well, I'm going to tell you some issues. I don't know what the technical difficulties are, but... Um... I don't know, know what I'm doing, but um, you know what happens? It's my Mac, my Mac laptop, the, the like catch, whatever. It doesn't stay up, so it like flops back all the time, so that's probably why I'm doing it. You know what I'm talking about? Like your laptop, the screen yeah. doesn't... <laughs> I think I stepped on him. Yeah. All right, bro. I'm gonna get you all socially distanced from your uh, cameras. Getting way too close. From to the them. lens. From the lens. Only six inches apart. That's right. All right. Well, let's. Uh. Hey, what's been going on with you, Evelyn? Anything new? Um. Same old, same old in DC. One small assignment. Um. So that was great. And of course, it was like a new way of doing protests. Um. Basically, no people. There were just signs. So move on. Put up a thousand signs representing oh. um, healthcare workers on the front lawn of the of the Capitol. I'm sorry, on the west lawn of the U.S. Capitol, because obviously you can't have a thousand healthcare workers out there. Right. And um, it pictures of nurses um, or home health aides and then also signs like demanding um, more PPE. So it was pretty cool. It actually, I think, was impactful in its own way um, to illustrate what's going on. Um, so speaking, I did that. Speaking of protests, did you see the picture out of Israel, uh, the, the social distancing protest, the, the image? It was unbelievable. It was, it was great. It was like in a parking lot. So you saw the painted, it was an aerial drone shot and you saw the aerial and you saw like the painted parking spaces, but everyone thousands of people that look like you know we're all six feet forward and back and sideways from each other it's an incredible shot unlike our zombie protest oh. photos or like yesterday 2500 people i think protested in oregon and yep. they were all up on each other unbelievable oh yep. my god probably none of them wearing you know, masks or anything or social distancing right yeah it's crazy yeah I mean, they may have been wearing, a few people may have been wearing masks, but definitely did not look like social distancing. I did see that picture from Israel, from the drone shot. I would like to see more. It looks, it looked pretty organized. Yeah, yeah. A short series of pictures from the ground and from the air, and it was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and then, and then you have the Florida beaches where people are just out there hacky sacking and walking Jeez. around with nothing on at all. <laughs> That is baffling people in Vietnam to see how America's handling this. They're, they're just baffling like people here in America. <laughs> it's so yeah, much. They it's expected like, so much more out of America. We're, we're such a disappointment. Just <laughs> What's like the big deal, you know? I'm still going outside, you know? So if I went to the beach, I wouldn't want to be next to my neighbor. I wouldn't want to be next to my neighbor at the beach. If I'm going, like, the peak of summer either. You know? Yeah, so I was telling somebody, like, like, I don't want to be six feet near somebody else on the beach on a good day when there's no pandemic, let alone, right. you know, like, I want my space. <laughs> Set up exactly. my towel. Yeah. Uh, but coming someplace, coming from someplace that's doing a lot better than everywhere else in the world with regard to COVID-19, from all the way from Vietnam, Mr. Justin Mott. Hello, Justin. Tell us about yourself. <laughs> tell, tell the audience who you are. Hi, guys. <laughs> sure, I'm... Uh... 41-year-old, uh, well, I'm, I like to just say I'm a photographer, but now I've sort of switched gears to the last year of my life to pivot my career into wildlife photojournalism. Uh, but I also own a production company with my wife where we do hotels and resorts ar around the world, uh, video production and commercial photography as well. And my background is I started my career out in Vietnam. I've been here for 13 years. I started covering assignments for the New York Times. I've probably done over 100 assignments for them through the years. And... 
background in documentary photography. And then recently, yeah, I started my project Kindred Guardians, which I'm documenting people around the world who help animals, like gibbons. That's awesome. <laughs> and so I'm looking, I look for stories, uh, a lot of conservation stories or wildlife conservation stories, but sometimes it's just any, any people that are helping animals as well. I did a story out recently on um, street dogs in Thailand. So I'm working on this project. I'm about a year into it. I've never been happier in my photography since maybe I was in since when I was in college, uh, back to my roots, back to what I love to do, and I love that's it. Great, that's <laughs> great. And you did some of those photo challenge shows, right? Was that something you produced, or was I that did, something yeah, you yeah, were I, just I part sometimes of? leave that on my. I, I leave that on my career. I was a host of a television show on History Channel in Asia. You wouldn't see it in America, but it was on History Channel Asia for five years. I was the host of a reality uh, photography show. I was the face of the show. Can oh you imagine gosh. how desperate they were? My ugly face, but. For, for five years, we still have uh, about four or five cardboard cutouts of myself. So I used to have to go and promote the shows. Sponsored by Canon, it was uh, filmed throughout Southeast Asia. And it was, yeah, a reality show about photography where I, as a professional, would have to go up against amateurs. So you can imagine how embarrassing that would be You're if I lost. Far worse which I won a lot. So. Show. <laughs> yes, it, it was a lot of fun. It was five, five years, a few months a year. It was a, a, weird, a weird part of my life. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, I'm sure we could talk about that show for quite a while, make that a topic of discussion. <laughs> but we need to talk about, you know, more important, uh, well-known shows. If you've followed any of the, you know, promotional material for this episode, you know that we're going to be talking all about the Tiger King. Um, this, of course, is the topic du jour, and it's, of course, making all the headlines because we're all stuck inside and we have nothing better to do than watch this documentary series docu-series on Netflix and for those of you who are like watching this and thinking or listening to this and thinking Tiger King what's that um, what Where rock have you been under this whole time <laughs> yeah you must not be quarantining you must be out living your life or something like that but uh, essentially Tiger King murder mayhem and madness is a true crime documentary mini series about the life of zookeeper Joe Exotic it came out on Netflix on March 20th, and it focuses on, of course, the titular character, Joe Exotic, as well as uh, Carol Baskin and a host of other people who are just complete characters who you couldn't even write into a movie. They're so nutty and crazy. Um, but essentially, uh, this is about folks who just, you know, own big cats, tigers and lions and, you know, all kinds of different wildlife animals. They have this fascination of wanting to have these these large animals and then the zoos or the, uh, you know, I guess, entertainment attraction parks where they, they host them and bring people to, you know, look at their animals. And it's just it's just something that, you know, you wouldn't think would be as crazy as it is but it's it's even crazier than you can possibly think of and we'll talk a little bit about the subject matter but i don't want to focus too much on the subject matter tonight i want to look at it and talk about it as more of a documentary which it is it's visual journalism it's a documentary series i want to talk about the techniques that the documentary creators uh use to sort of tell the story and then kind of you know again make it as intriguing as it was um so you know let's start with our guest of course uh justin we'll talk about the article you wrote in a minute, but um, okay. what did you think about the series in general as a, as a documentary? Yeah, it was entertaining, and you know, I think if they, if you look at it as a documentary success is to get people to talk about a topic and be interested in the topic, uh, they did a great job with that. I mean, they had amazing access. They stuck with it for a, a long period of time, uh, all the different sub-stories, and so I thought the way they filmed it was, was amazing. It was intriguing. 
Um, you know, we can go into my article later, but obviously, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I'm starting to get angry even talking about it because <laughs> I do feel like they missed an opportunity to touch on, on, you know, what we'll talk about later, which is the illegal wildlife trade. It really, it, it really yeah. pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, a, as a documentary, it, it's tough because I'm conflicted because you think about it as it, it did make, it did make you want to watch more. It did make you interested. It made people have the dialogue made people have a dialogue i just think it was the wrong dialogue yeah no, absolutely and you know uh you know making you want to watch one episode after another you know evelyn you were talking about that before the show talking about you can't just watch just one you know it kind of grips you and it takes you on from one episode to another you know how do you think that you know the subject matter aside you know how do you think that they were able to do that to kind of keep your attention Oh, I mean, I wouldn't say that it was the most, you know, beautiful documentary I've seen. I mean, it, it was the subject matter that kept your attention. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the people and the characters were like, I mean, for a documentarian, a dream come true. You can't, like you said, you can't even invent these characters in fiction. I mean, they are so, uh, they are too unbelievable that they have to be real. Um, so, yeah, they, there was some nice you know filming and techniques user i think they maybe even like recreated yeah. some scenes um you know dramatized them um and that was all fine but that is not what kept you in this documentary it was not i don't think anything to do with the cinematography or the techniques things like that it was purely the insanity yeah. of it was, it was just my eyeballs were like bugging out of my head the entire time yeah. No, I think for, you know, anyone who's in this sort of field, it's sort of like the dream get, if you will, you know, in terms of just yeah. you couldn't ask for a more interesting subject matter. And of course, that's the dominating feature. And by the way, if you haven't watched the series yet, we're going to go into deep spoiler territory. I don't want to hinder anyone's ability to talk about any aspect <laughs> of the story. So if you haven't watched it yet, get off this, go watch all seven episodes and then come back and, and resume. Um, I think to just point too is that it was also insane for me at least that I couldn't stop watching that I didn't they didn't even have time really to address the bigger issues of animals in cap captivity the wildlife yeah. trade you know unfair you know just mistreatment of animals which which clearly was a part of it but it, it came out in such little drips and drabs you didn't have time to focus on it because one other another crazy thing was happening with the humans in the show and mm -hmm. the animals were living their lives and um, you know, whatever they were doing to animals. So I felt like maybe this would have been a good way to do like a post episode. I'm sure Justin had a lot to say about this yeah. or get into it because you are sort of left like, okay, what's, you know, what's happening or what can we do? Or you feel, I mean, it, it's it's a heartbreaker for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Travis, what did you think of the, the series? Um, it's definitely one of those ones that, uh, you know, I have a, a, a huge love for, you know, uh, big cats and stuff like that. So initially I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to watch that. Because, you know, I, I loosely remember in the news when I was growing up, that those uh, those parks being in the news. And, and you know, I'm like, ah. Eh. And then, you know, I'm the type of person I won't even go to, uh, like, I was happy when Barnum & Bailey closed down. I, I When I was a kid, I used to love the circus. Yeah. Then I kind of grew up and realized, oh, my God, you know, they're in cages. And I was like, I, I boycotted going to any circus that had you know, animals in it. Uh, so finally I watched it, and I feel the same way. It's, it's uh, I think the, the, the documentary has really kind of made a conscious choice that this was going to be about this 
bizarre group of people and not really about the, about the animals. Unfortunately, you know, they're like, well, the animals are there, so we kind of have to have them there. But it's more about these crazy people and the interactions between them. And the stories, you know, once you kind of see these linking stories and everything kind of leaping into each other, you're like, this, you know, it's one of those things. You can't write this kind of stuff. So it, yeah. it was, you know, you kind of get roped into saying, like, wow, where is it going to go next? And, like, you can't believe, you know, the stories and where it goes. So you kind of watch the whole thing straight through binge watching, especially if you have the time we do right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Evelyn, you brought up something I thought, you know, was interesting in that you said there were some setup shots. And I did notice that more towards the end of the documentary on like the last yeah. episode or so where they're trying to kind of, because what I think, you know, is sort of the godsend that came out of this documentary or, or came out of this coverage of this character is he was such, you know, Joe Exotic, he was such a person who wanted to be a celebrity. So he filmed everything. So he had, you know, mountains of footage of himself doing things, not to mention all the stuff he shot on and put online on his YouTube channel and everything. So, you know, from a, a documentary perspective, you have tons of resource material to work with. But again, towards the end of it, when they're talking about, and again, we're going to the end here. So him going to jail and him putting the hit on the person, you know, there's there's not footage of that specifically. So I thought it was interesting how they were talking about, like the guy who he, you know, essentially hired to do the hit and they've got this footage of him like driving a car or going to the hotel and like all oh, this was shot after the fact. And then, yeah. you know, I've been watching a lot of like sort of um, post show like reviews of the show and talking about the um, sort of aspects of it. And, you know, again, there's a lot of different ways that this was was highlighted and showed. And, you know, some people have sort of, I guess, correlated it to less of a docu-series and more of like a reality show or more of like a seedy sort of you know, kind of manipulating and manipulating a story. Um, do you see that, uh, Justin? Is that would you would you agree that this is more of like a reality show, or do you think this is more like a documentary? What, what would you kind of put? Yeah, this it's on? a hybrid, right? It, it yeah. feels like a hybrid. I mean, I, I respect the guys for getting such amazing access and staying with it. And then, yeah, like I I agree with what you said about it's it's not necessarily like that it's beautifully shot or anything. It's just more that the access was was amazing and yeah well i mean I, I, they're not i guess saying they're sensationalized is is doesn't make sense because they're just so sensational these characters i mean they're not they're, they just are these crazy wild people and everything they said on camera was just who they are and these uh, so you know i think they they capture them naturally i don't think they have to talk them up to be these people they just are these people but yeah, I would I would call it somewhat of a hybrid right because they are doing those reenactment things that you know Nat Geo does and Discovery Channel does and I, I guess as a as a journalist, like I, I don't, I'm okay with that because it's not. I'm not doing it as a journalist. I don't consider them journalists. I guess they're, you know, they're. Yeah, it's it's tricky. I don't really know how to feel about that part of it. I feel like it is somewhere in between. I guess. Well, you know, you you're around this type of stuff, obviously as a wildlife photographer, and I think or photojournalist. I mean, would you say there's a type of person that would have to be? You'd have to have some, you know, have to have certain kind of personality to be someone who would want big cats around you i mean i don't know i would the average person like evelyn do you want a big cat in your house <laughs> travis do you want a big cat in your house i, I don't know i don't i don't think i'd want a well, big I cat think, personally. they they kind of talk about that the appeal is everybody wants a picture right. with them and everybody kind of you know everybody really you know 
they're beautiful, beautiful animals, and and yeah, that's part of why the, the, there's so many in captivity, and then that staggering number that there are more in captivity in America than the rest of the world is 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 heartbreaking, and it's because everybody thinks, oh, I can get this cute kitten, and then they don't like, oh, it gets big. What do I do? And it, you know, it's, you know yeah. four hundred pounds of meat a day. Like, what are we gonna, what are we going to do here? <laughs> you know, so. It's uh, one of it those. It was things. obvious those guys liked the attention, and they liked that what comes along with that, which was yeah. another world I didn't even know about. Is all these like sort of, um, I don't know what you'd call these women, but these tiger groupies, right? Who want to hang out with these like? It was just really odd because you have these guys that are dating women, you know, fine. But I mean, hey, my wife's younger than I am, but these guys are like dating women half their age, and and you know, it seemed like yeah, it's obviously a little weird. Some of them had like six different w- ladies. You know, living with them, and that one guy, what is it, Doc, Antle, Doc Till, Antle. how do you say his last name, but he, you know, and the lady that sort of left, it's, got a it's whole very cult, cult like that, there. that world of it, it, it did really feel like a cult, it felt like these other cult documentaries that you watch, where they have this following, and then, you know, the guy at his place in, in Vegas having these parties, like, that guy doesn't get attention without this stuff, so they, they, they thrive off of that, I don't think any of them are really truly animal people, you know, I think they like the attention that goes along with that. And then there's a whole other issue, like where I am in Asia, it's, it's people that there's not necessarily that world, but I think as much as, as there is the world of just, I want what I can't have. Some of these people that are so powerful and, you know, Vietnam and China are, are huge in the consumption side of a lot of these things for some of this traditional medicine for, for big cats. Uh, you know, why, why I started this article was because I was just at a pangolin rescue center and I saw, right as this came out, I saw um, um, a rescue tiger cub come in that was going to be trafficked. Who knows if it was going to be sold here in Vietnam or sent somewhere else. But yeah, people want these things. They want to take pictures of them. They want to have them at their house. They want to, they want to have something they can't have, or they want to use it for traditional medicine, which by the way, you know, all these things are obviously no proven, you know, effects on anything. A lot of, they'll ground up tiger bones and rhino horn, which I've done a lot of work on rhino horns and, and you know, that it doesn't do anything. It's hair, it's keratin, it's, it's fingernails, you know, it's the same. It has no effect, but you know, these people just believe in this, I won't swear, but you know what I mean. Like, horseshit. <laughs> I swear, but you know, it's 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 ridiculous. Is there a way to get people to stop, like thinking like that? You know, to stop. Like, is the new gen, is the younger generation, you know, are the millennials, you know, kind of moving away from that, or is there this? Is it just so ingrained in people that they continue to believe in it? Sort of traditional medicine. Well. It's, speak from my experience here. I've covered, I've covered, uh, you know, mafia dealers who sell this stuff, and I've seen their their clientele. Some of it, some of them are younger. A lot of them are, are older. I think the younger generation in a country in, in Vietnam has has changed. I see more campaigns. The consumption is still there's more campaigns and there's more uh, you see more bust, but it seems to be the numbers are still consuming a high amount of this stuff. And I I feel that my responsibility is I've always worked with Western media outlets, so my story's been published, my project a lot in the Washington Post. And but I find I'm finally realizing I have responsibility to get it out in in Vietnam as well. I want these stories to get out here in local papers. I have to be careful. That can be tricky. I'm not. I'm doing more of the side of the the rhinos themselves in in uh, Kenya. I did a story in the last two northern white rhinos. But I'm trying to now humanize it. That's what I'm trying to look at. Is maybe if people don't care about animals, they might care about the people that are risking their life. Because I've I've spent time with those guys as well. We're trying to get one of the rhino caretakers to come to Vietnam and give a talk. I think that's how you get people that don't care about animals to maybe care about this issue because it's not just animals that are being affected. It's humans are dying. You know, the guys that I was with, they're, they're, being, they're, they're out with poachers that are trying to kill them. There's poachers that they want to kill the rhinos, but if they're approached by these rangers, they'll shoot them. One of the guys that I spent uh, an evening with on patrol told me, I mean, he, he started 
yeah, I could see he wanted to tell me something. And he said, yeah, he said it was tough. But about a year before when he was protecting these the northern white rhinos and the wild rhinos that are in uh, Opajeta Conservancy in Kenya, he had to, him and his fellow rangers, and he, he was one of the guys he shot. They shot and killed three poachers. But, I mean, his life was at risk. And these guys spend 20-something days on and I think 21 days on, six days off. They spend more time protecting these animals than they do with their, with their own families. Wow. And it's just sad to see these people dying, you know, be, because these people need to, you know, consume something that doesn't have, do anything. And I think it relates, obviously, back to it's the same thing. It's just different in the U.S. It's, it's you know, they're not, they're not eating the tigers. They're just, like, having them as a, as a pet or, you know, using them to get, get women and to get attention, which is equally as horrible. Yeah. Well, going back to the documentary and some of the techniques I noticed, one, first of all, you know, this was a long-term story. So they mentioned in the beginning, I think, you know, it seemed like this was done over the course of five years. And some of the stuff that was captured, like the Doc Andle stuff, was captured over the course of two and a half years. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're sort of thinking like, oh, I'd love to do a documentary like this, this was something that was in the long haul. You know, this wasn't done over the course of a few months. This was done over the course of a few years. And so it's interesting to see this sort of massive amount of time and effort boiled down to, you know, again, seven episodes. But again, I think, you know, you couldn't tell this story in two, two hours, you know, like there's so much to it that it had to sort of take this time to breathe. You know, do you think, and I, this is open to anyone, but, you know, do you think that the story was long enough, too long or too short? I think it was a little too long. Perhaps. Okay. Um, Why? For me, at least, like the it started to, when it's uh, by episode, I think five or six. I was sort of only like half listening. I was like so oversaturated with the insanity of all of the characters and the people. And sometimes they wouldn't even explain. Like um, they would just show something happening with no explanation. Like I think the Thanksgiving dinner um, that Joe is serving. Like. How about a couple sentences? So there was always, I was always a little confused. There were always little things I was wondering about. I wanted more on it. I wanted less of. Um, but, um, for, yeah, for me, I felt like a little, it could have been an episode shorter. Do you sure. think it could have worked as a two-hour movie? Like a two-hour typical full-length do- documentary? Or do you think it needed the, the more breathing room? I mean, I think that, they mar- they did a great job with what they had. Like, this is perfect for a series. Sure, you can always edit things and always make things tighter. But um, I think this worked in the series format. I think this was, like, a perfect... I, I think it was fine to run with it. I wouldn't... I mean, six... You know, it wasn't ten. I think it was six or seven episodes. Um, I felt, you know, there was a little bit... It was it got a little bit repetitive, perhaps. But, um no, I think this was the right format. For me, this worked because it's just so gripping and salacious that, you know, you it, it, it compelled you. So why wouldn't a production company or TV, you know, why wouldn't they want to drag it out a little bit? And I, it worked. For me, this worked. Justin, you've worked in the television industry. Like, do you have any thoughts on, on the kind of the format and the way this material was presented about it, like its length or its, or its format? I mean... Like if this were to show yeah, on like traditional television, how would they have would they have pushed it for this kind of series style? Or do you think they would have made it longer and put like recaps every five minutes and for the commercial breaks and everything? Yeah, I think it hit the right. I mean, I think now with this with this sort of binge watching trend and then what's happening with the world right now, it, it was all perfectly kind of timed to just consume all of it. And I think I think you know obviously I'm going to go back to like I, I think it was 
I think it, it, it held your interest through what, what six episodes. I just really, I keep saying, I just, you know, they missed the opportunity to make a point. Again, it didn't have to be that. It's, it didn't have to really go deep into the illegal wildlife trade because that is a whole other world. But it would have been nice if they just gave enough of it that the conversation, people could have that conversation about that afterwards or understand that or at least have questions and research that because I just really feel like they didn't dig into that enough. I know, you know, they talk about that too much. They're going to scare these guys off. But there was a point where they really had their trust. And I think they could have, even if they didn't interview these guys, you couldn't get them to talk about it. There's other people you could talk about it with. Or, you know, I know they put the fact up about more tigers in captivity in the U.S. at the end, I think, than in the wild. But that, 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 that wasn't enough for me. I think they missed the opportunity with the recap episode, which that would have been a great time. I think, you know, like, like you said, Travis, it was entertaining with, with Joe McHale, but I was like, oh, this, this might be it. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe these guys will use this episode and they'll say, okay, this is what this whole industry is about. Let's talk about that a little bit. And let's get an expert on here. I mean, get someone from, you know, uh, could be Wild Aid or, or WWF or just someone, you know, in, in, in that industry in that or law enforcement to talk about that a little bit more. And that was a bummer that they didn't do that. Maybe they still will. I'm an optimistic person. Who knows? But I really feel like, you know, their responsibility wasn't to go into it too much. That wasn't what they were trying to capture they were trying to do this other story but i felt like at the end they did have a small responsibility to at least introduce us to this other world get the topic going and let us have the proper conversations that we want to have but people do actually want to have i was surprised because i'm i'm always afraid to talk about these things with people because i'm that guy you don't want to be that guy who's always like animal rights animal rights you know i'm going around my t-shirt and people and i I don't want to keep you know pounding people with that but i thought this was a chance to say okay people are curious they are they they're confused and they want to learn more and that was a time to maybe introduce it and i feel like they failed there yeah i think, I think uh, i'm sorry go, oh, ahead, go ahead no i was just gonna say i mean going to the the premise you know what they go into this thinking they were going to cover right and i think it was established in the first episode pretty well that like i think they went into it with sort of a more um like idealized idea of what they were going to cover because again the guy was like saw this poor tiger that was in this hot van right and you know, they were thinking, oh, man, what, why, why does this exist? What, you know, it seemed like they wanted to get deeper into this kind of subject of, you know, the sort of the trade and the, you know, try to shine a light on what they thought was maybe a misuse and abuse of animals. And then when they got introduced to the characters, it went like the characters just took over, you know. They sucked all the air out of right. all the other yeah. And I actually That's think why maybe the follow-up episode could have been a good chance to do that, but, yeah. The very end had, and, and like Travis said, I was sort of afraid to watch it, thinking that I was going to be seeing a lot of animal abuse or terrible things. I didn't really know what to expect, mm. and I started watching it, and it wasn't that at all. Except the very end with the chimpanzees, which wasn't even the tigers. Joe said the most heartbreaking thing about those chimpanzees. That was, uh, yeah. That he had these two chimps in these cages for 10 years, and then when he lost the zoo, they went to a great ape rescue center in Florida. And they lived side by side in cages their entire lives. And then when they were out in the wild, they were hugging each other. I mean, I have goosebumps just thinking it. And he got choked up, and he realized, like, I deprived them of this their whole lives. If they could have gotten a little more out of that, you know, at the end or in the follow-up and the guy that seemed to really care the zookeeper the guy that looked like the motley crew dude there was one where i feel like they didn't have enough food for the animals like yeah i wanted more from him absolutely you could see that he had a heart you could see that he cared and i I thought they were gonna press in there i was getting excited because you could see he wanted to he wanted to say more and i thought these guys were so good at extracting stuff out of people but they missed the boat with that guy because he was always like but he wanted to say something you know you could see it yeah 
I mean, um, this is this is, I think a very clear example of like suddenly when someone starts a documentary maybe on one thing and then realizes, oh my God, I have so much of something else and something else. And like you're not talking about one murder, you're talking about possibly two right, murders. You're yeah, talking yeah. about you know you're talking about this you know and it, it, it the follow up show obviously I think was like we didn't even expect the the series to get this much of a uh, you know uh, response and they did the follow up show as a quick like we got to get something else out there to capitalize on this so they put it together and you know after the fact uh, so I mean all this I think took them as mo- as long as it took to make it this is taking them by storm and very quick for them uh, all of this this yeah. It's like the time, like what Travis is saying, like this is the time for the iron strike while the iron is hot because everybody, yeah. us, we're all like amped up talking about tigers. So people do want it. All the people like us who are left with all the questions, like we get it. They were fascinating. I wanted to hear about their salacious lives. Now I want to know about the tigers. So like what yeah. can the what can you guys do to get the message out there now? And the follow-up show, again, like, nothing against Joel McHale. I think he's a great comedian. I think he's hilarious. But that was like, okay, now we're going back to reality TV. That's what a reality TV show does. Like, if you want, like, you know, one of those shows at the end of the season, they invite all the characters back and everyone has all their drama and stuff. I was like, maybe don't have him in that situation. Put the director in there or put a journalist in there that might ask, actually, tough questions. That would have been really interesting. But, yeah, it's tough because we might be interested in that as, as journalists. But I think a lot of people... A lot of people just cared about, yeah, they want to see that, that follow-up show. I just think that they, yeah, they gave, they, they dumbed this it down to the masses. Was. Which it was like, the reality TV reunion show. Let's put them all in and right. talk about this and that. That's exactly what it was. I mean, it, it, this is a reality show. And, and it's a rea- when you say a hybrid, that's exactly what it is. It's a hybrid reality show. And you get that feeling towards it. And like, oh, both, both of you kind of addressed this. And my brother said, he's like, I watched the end and something just wasn't right. You know, it's like, uh, it's like it felt like it was set up or that like they were all in on it or there was something, there's something more to this. And I think there does feel how feel like there were, Someone's getting something over on us. There's something. There's something that's going to come out like, oh, they, they, this was, you know, put together, or this like they were in on it together. It's like there was, there's something really weird about it. The, the last couple episodes, you're feeling this, and uh, I don't know what to, to put my finger on, but there's something that just doesn't sit right. Yeah, it seemed like the access was too, too good, right? Like they were too <laughs> friendly. I mean, there was that little, one little moment, right, with one of his, uh, with one of Joe's husbands, where he was like asking about the stuff in the storage thing, and he's like, oh, don't, don't film that, or what was it? Don't talk about that, and he. Yeah, like it was little things where you could like look like he was maybe trying to be a investigative journalist and then pulled back from it a bit. Yeah, well, just funny. I was like, that... "Oh, you sold some tigers to Doc Antle. Oh, I gotta take that. I gotta take that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think you... what you brought up about being like the chimpanzee part. Yeah, it was like it was so small, and I I, I agree with you. I really liked that bit. I think it, it makes me think now, just having this discussion. It, maybe they, you know, I wonder if they didn't put more in that because people like you and people like myself or people like us would be a lot of people don't want to see it because my i don't want to watch it because it's going to be animal abuse in it and maybe they probably had all that footage and i wonder if they were afraid well i'm not saying i'm not condoning it but i wonder if that's why they left a lot of that out i wonder if they have that footage but they were like listen it's going to scare off a huge population that actually has a heart yeah. for animals i know a bunch of people want to see that abuse. would watch it because of the same exact reason you just but said it's like to but- me yeah to me that then you're going more into reality tv and less less you know, i think it's a little bit irresponsible because if that's what does happen and we found out it does. Even, you know, they aren't even these talked about what I found one of the most shocking moments in complete the whole series had nothing to do with the Tigers is that off-screen accidental killing of you know Travis shooting himself. Oh my God, the guy! Yeah, and of him just sitting there the stunned. Right, one of the most yeah. shocking and disturbing moments I've seen on film. It was just it was overwhelming. It's like, is this real? Is this really happening? Is this like, is this it, what what just happened? It's like it was overwhelming. Yeah. 
It's yeah. weird to leave that that in, but it's like, but don't leave the part. In. I bet you they have footage of them putting the animals down and things like that. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do. I mean, I can't say that they do 100%, but I wouldn't be surprised. And it did seem like it happens a lot. And I think it's funny, right? Because they're afraid to scare off an audience by showing that, but not afraid to scare off an audience by showing someone I'm reacting to someone killing himself. <laughs> It's my giant tiger. <laughs> you know, maybe this is the time for the click, you know, because people's attention is is on this. Like, I remember seeing a documentary on Tiger Bone Soup uh, or Tiger Bone Wine. Sorry, Tiger Bone Wine. And it was very hard to watch. Maybe it was on Netflix, like, where they, they put all these things up and people click and they start getting the message out. Or this is the time for, like, PETA to come out with their Tiger yeah. King documentary and and people that's what i sort of mean like people it's in their brains maybe they're not all interested like we are but there may be some interest to find out more like they got there they were peaked you know maybe it was more about the salaciousness than the animal rights side but you can you can tap into that perhaps well they can always explore that in a second season because that's why i've heard the rumors are that they are going to do a second season of the show and i'm sure there's hours and hours of footage that you know would make for continuing episodes and obviously there's a a huge draw and desire for more of this you know one of the things that i saw talked about in terms of critique of the show was how they positioned and shot sort of the interviews so for instance you had the one of the husbands the ex-husband who had very few teeth and had no shirt on you know and then you had another person one of the trainers who lost their arm well they were filmed without their prosthetic arm on and in both those cases, both you know the you know the guy without the teeth and the you know the trainer with the staff. with the arm, the yeah. staff member, you know, it seemed like they positioned them and had, like for instance, the staff member had a prosthetic arm that they could have worn, and the person with few teeth had teeth he could have put in, and he you know didn't have to be shirtless. So I'm, I'm you know, yeah. curious, you know, do you think that's manipulative the way they sort of? stage their characters so to speak for those oh, interviews some some of it obviously but the, the 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 one with the prosthetic arm i in fact most of the time in the footage where she's working with the tiger she's not wearing one mm-hmm. yeah. She, yeah she's never really or you know she's a, yeah i think he yeah yes yes i tried not to i don't know i try not to identify their gender but yes. No, no, but in the documentary, I think they refer to staff as a female, and then in the post show, right. they said, "But identify uh-huh. did it bother you?" And mm. and he said it didn't bother him. So, but staff, I thought where he did the interview was like around a pile of garbage yeah. and broken down chairs. I mean, I think they picked like I, I don't know. Do you I mean, think I they picked that, was... that to kind of paint that person as more like white trash, or you know that sort of idea, like trashy, like this whole GW thing mm-hmm. was all trashy. A little bit. That's what I thought. I love that. Buy, that more than prosthetic arm, but maybe that's where staff hangs out. I don't know. Maybe that's. I have no idea. But it was a pretty glaring uh, scene, you know, set there. I love the part when they're first introducing us to Doc Antle, and Doc Antle's like, "Okay, listen, I'm gonna go, and you're gonna, I'm go inside and open the door, <laughs> oh, yeah. and then okay, then you're gonna come in the door, right? And then they show you that. Okay, hello, welcome. It just shows how." That's such a brilliant move by the documentarians to show like what a control freak this guy is and how yeah, staged yeah. everything has to be in terms of it. And I thought that was an interesting technique, like for myself looking at it as a documentary, you know, someone who wants to make documentary films when they grow up, right? Like I saw that. That's a that's a neat idea, you know. That, the staging of stuff, um, you know, again, in developing those relationships and what I was told was 
or, you know, Doc Andel actually went on a program and talked about it. He said basically like, you know, they said they were coming on to do a different type of documentary. Like they were coming on to do a documentary more about, you know, what me and what I was doing in Africa and trying to rescue tigers or whatever he was trying to do. And then they built it into this other thing, you know, like, do you think that that's, like, if you're a documentary filmmaker, if you're trying to do a documentary, is it right to sort of mislead your subject in order to get the content and the access you need if you're doing something else? Or do you think you need to be completely open and honest with everything you're doing? And that's just not like a documentary, but even like a photojournalism series or whatever you're going to do, you know, a photography series. Tough. That's a really tough question, actually. It's not, it's not to know. be that specific, you know? I, I mean, I never, yeah, you never know as a journalist what direction, like, even if you're a print journalist and you're going to go interview somebody and you say, well, I think the story's about this. Let me ask you a few questions. And then they start talking about something else. The story is going to go in a completely different direction. And you're not going to say, oh, well, then I'm not going to use that material unless they say it's off the record. And I think Doc Annell had such a crazy life that, you know, and his wives or girlfriends or whoever were all there. And, uh, you know, I mean, he opened himself up to, you know, sharing his little animal kingdom and lady kingdom or whatever he had going on there. No, I don't, I, I think the key is like, you can't, you know, whatever you say, if you're filming that, you know, as long as you're not misleading, but I don't think you, right. it's leading. I mean, I mean, as long as the directors didn't mislead him. Um, well, the way he made it sound was that all the stuff dealing with like Joe exotic and sort of the more seedier parts of this story were a very small fraction of the hundreds of hours, apparently, that he shot and covered. And it seemed like, from his perspective, they were trying to do this larger story about, you know, again, he, he you know talked about his, like, tiger rescue efforts or whatever he's trying to do or some sort of efforts in Africa. So I'm just curious, you know, do you be completely honest if you know what you're doing, even if though it might cost you access? I'm I'm a lot less on board for it when it's for entertainment and just be you know for entertainment purposes, which it was with, with a lot of this. And I'm a lot more on board with being deceptive if you're exposing like criminal activity. You know, like if I've done I've I've been deceptive when I've pretended to be a consumer of of you know illegal wildlife materials like uh, rhino horn or tiger bones because I wanted to get images for the United Nations and for an assignment for time just because. You know, so I, I'm definitely deceptive because I would never get that access. But I, you know, that was a judgment call. I thought for the to get this kind of access, I need to pretend, and I was okay with that. But when it's just for pure entertainment, I'm not necessarily on board with it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's... I think people also too, after they see themselves, may not like what they see. Right. I think that happens. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, and I can't speak for the directors or what the goal was, but, you know, it, Doc may be disappointed that the documentary went in a different direction, but he was interviewed for all these things and included in it, and I think that happens all the time. He may have been just disappointed yeah. it wasn't all about him. Right, yeah. right, probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. I think it's more, yeah, that with that situation, it was, you know, these guys don't like what it's going to look like now, <laughs> now that they see themselves, yeah. you know. Yeah, I did a yeah. multimedia photo series about war protesters, and uh, they did not like the way they were portrayed in my uh, my series because they didn't like who I chose to interview and the story I went with. And I told them uh, it was their fault because essentially they they pushed me away because they thought I was the enemy, and they wouldn't work with me. So I had to work with who I could work with, and I ended up like interviewing one of their most radical members because that's who all I could get. That's the only person who would talk to me. So that them represented sort of their side of the story. 
And I told them, hey, you're going to you're going to create a self-fulfilling prophecy, essentially, by not working with me. And so completely different. But again, there's just an instance where the people I work with weren't happy with what I ended up making. But it was their own fault. Uh, but I did want to move on to your article before we just one last thing. Yeah, just please. think of all the. Uh product endorsements they can get now like joe exotic frosted flakes you know they're great you know <laughs> get carol baskin uh you know uh, sardine oil uh, you know there's a lot of good stuff that oh could come God. out we didn't even talk about carol baskin <laughs> oh no, I, I know, know. Oh, no, this whole sardine oil and that's yeah. i think that's what the sequel is going to you know they were going to uh, focus a little more on that too okay quick quick uh, hit carol baskin do we think she did it or not yes or no <laughs> so, there's definitely something. <laughs> something happened there. <laughs> something, something, something happened. I wanted to like her so much in the first episode. I'm like, yes, she's yeah. fighting the fight. And I'm like, wait but a minute. She is it's just bizarre as the next one. It's like, yeah. everything in my, in my house is stone or, or this because I'm allergic to cats. <laughs> oh yeah, it was crazy how, you know, even the one who's trying to be righteous is just as off as the rest of them. She's just as bad as the rest of them. Evelyn, did she do it or not? Well, the, the series definitely leads you to believe that she was involved with yeah. her husband's disappearance. And, yeah. All right. Well, this series um, essentially inspired you, Justin, to write this uh, article about wildlife photojournalism. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about that? Why don't you go ahead and kind of give us the sort of bottom line up front of this article. What's it about? Well, I, I've always written about like photography and a lot about getting into the business side of photography and things like that. But like I was saying earlier, making that shift in my career towards doing you know wildlife story about the legal wildlife trade, I found myself now really engulfed in it, meeting people, meeting the humans, uh, you know, that are risking their lives for this. And it just happened that while that series, like I mentioned before, while that series was coming out, I was at a pangolin rescue center in Ningbing, which is about two hours outside of Hanoi, and. Yeah, there was, a, there was a tiger that just came in, and he was, you know, it was uh, awful. It was like about a year old, and this is a tiger that's, you know, same of these baby tigers being trafficked for someone's either personal zoo or for as probably more likely in Vietnam as a pet or could be shipped across the border to China for, you know, to be ground down into tiger bones or consumed here. So it was just, for me, it was that, and then I was having conversations with my friends about the show, and, you know, they all the conversations were about the sensational side of these characters and I'm like no one's asking me and this is like something I do I was hoping they would ask these questions and I didn't sense they wanted to talk about it and I was like oh you know I felt like I've got a responsibility to talk about it I was I was upset and you know disappointed in in the conversations people were having online and, and friends of mine too and again you know you know when you're the guy that talks about that all the time you don't want to be too preachy but I was like oh this is a time I just wish that the director's mentioned a little bit more about the illegal wildlife trade so that people would at least start this conversation, start this dialogue. So I thought no one was having this dialogue, and I thought, well, shit, I should. So I, I wrote this article, and I, you know, I, I just wanted to put it out there. I wanted people to understand that, that there's more to it than just these tigers coming in. They're not just, they come from somewhere. They're being taken from lands. People are being harmed in addition to the animals. It's criminal activity happening here. You know, it's, it's, you're supporting crime by doing this. You're going to these places. And I wanted people to, I didn't want to be so preachy where I'm just telling people like, okay, this is a horrible industry. We know it, but maybe some things that I talked to some friends and I started to think about ways that, you know, your average person could help with a family. Cause some people don't know. You can't blame people. They go to these places. They don't understand, you know, uh, elephant sanctuaries. Oh, it's an elephant sanctuary. Maybe I should go there. No, these elephants were maybe taken from the wild or givens as pets. People think, Oh, well, they're cute pets. 
well, people don't understand that to, you know, to take a pet gibbon, which is awful in the first place because it should be in the wild, but also about nine or 10 are probably killed in the process because they'll, they'll fend for their, they'll defend their family to the death. And I wanted people to understand the other side of that. I wanted to give people some simple things that they could do, that they could digest, you know, with their families, certain places to avoid, you know, water parks and things like that. And, and, you know, in Asia, especially these uh, elephant sanctuaries, some are actually okay, but uh, most are pretty awful. And I wanted people to understand how awful these places are and how you can, what you can do. And that's essentially just avoiding them. And hopefully people have conversations if they're not having them with their friends like we mentioned earlier about the younger generation, I think they're the ones that can change. So I think parents have an obligation to maybe, you know, to talk about this with their children. I wanted to give people some talking points. So that's what inspired the article. And it was a lot of fun to write. And I've had some great feedback from it. You know, people just saying, oh, thank you. You know, it's good to understand that. Good to understand that side of it. I had no idea how, you know, how global this industry was and how horrible it was and not just animals on people as well. Well, I think, you know, as bad as this sort of series is with regard to sort of highlighting the seedy side of all this, I think any any show that is as popular as this is going to raise awareness about some parts of this, you know, like yeah. people will take it from it, you know, the message they want to take from it, which is like, oh, my God, I can't believe there's this, you know, there's this such a poor treatment, mistreatment of these big cats, you know, whether it be again in these captive uh, sort of places they shouldn't be in captivity or, you know, again, like what you're doing, which is sort of the, the larger picture that, yeah, it definitely de- definitely needs more light shown on it for sure. So thank you for writing the article. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I just, I wanted people to understand that these are these are global criminal organizations. That was one of the points, and I wanted people to have a dialogue. And, yeah, again, I just wanted some simple points that, that like I mentioned, that people can do to sort of to, to not support this industry. I mean, you can say you don't like it and send you know messages on Facebook and things like that, but you can have a you can make a bigger impact by not supporting them financially, not bringing your children there too, because you're teaching them bad lessons mm-hmm. as well. So uh, it, it's hard because those places are marketing machines. I mean, look at SeaWorld and look at all these dolphin places. But I, I, I do see that at least some things are starting to change. People, yeah. you know, there are there are um, uh, like TripAdvisor and places like this that are actually getting a lot of pressure. And putting pressure on on these places to see them at all, and that's good. I think people are more aware. I want people, you know, people are aware of their supply chain for the environment for their, you know, when they buy clothes and things. Are uh, people more interested in that stuff? So it comes, you know, it, 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 the same thing applies with animals as well. Justin, is there a way for people to? I mean, we want to see animals. We care about animals. We're interested in them. So how can we see them in a responsible <laughs> way? Are there places that? are okay to see a wild animals in captivity. South and maybe Africa, go to one of the big five safaris or whatever. They're all free, but for now, maybe that's not the case. So what would you recommend? Yeah. It's it's hard because, you know, zoo, zoos are really awful places as well. Some, but there are some zoos that are taking animals that, that actually have, uh, that, that can't be released back into the wild for one reason or another. And that some, some zoos that I've even worked with, they're actually funding you know, uh, breeding programs to keep some of these animals that are going to go extinct alive. So they and and conservation efforts. So it's it's more about looking at your zoo, doing a little bit of research, asking if you have a friend in conservation what their thoughts are about certain places. Yes, if you have the budget to go to Africa, you can see animals in the wild. Some people would have debates over, you know, how much you know certain safaris, what you should be doing and shouldn't. That that's tricky. You know, I've been in this industry now only a year of sort of covering these kind of stories. So I'm learning as I go too, but I, there are wonderful places like the place that I go to old Pajetta in Kenya, 
you know, they, they, it's a wildlife sanctuary. It's a, it's a conservation. They take care of the last two northern white rhinos in the world. I mean, it's crazy. Only two rhinos left, but they also protect all the other wild animals around there. And they, you know, they do so through donations. And they have great programs when you go there where you can actually learn about rhinos. They're quite great about teaching, you know, uh, educational programs. So I think if you're a parent, you're looking for places that they, they're actually preaching and teaching about conservation. And hopefully you get to see some animals in the wild. And there's, there's nothing like that in the world to see. I've been to Africa so many times. I've been to Kenya three times just last year and to see animals, these beautiful animals in the wild that it's, you know, once in a lifetime, I think you'll appreciate it and it's worth every penny to go there. And I think it, you know, to see that you'll appreciate. It's hard though. Masses can't afford or or, or will not go to Africa. You know, that's a, that's a big trip. It's a big trip. It's an expensive trip. Um, So people want to see them here. And I know there are, you know, some zoos do the right thing and some zoos don't. And, uh, you know, I, I'm killed when I see, you know, the, the big, great, big, great apes in, in small enclosures. It just rips me apart. But, you know, yeah. you know, pandas probably wouldn't exist if it wasn't for certain zoos and stuff like that. And, you know, and there's sure. certain, you know, breeding things. So, you know, you have to look at which zoo it is. And, and it's the same thing, like like you're saying, is uh, there are some okay and uh, decent uh, elephant places in Thailand. And there are some that are yeah. horrible just like zoos and just like anything else. Um, And it's, you know, I think it's up to us to try to put that out in TripAdvisor. I know those are people that really say, no, this is good, this is bad, and this is is why, and really kind of bring that. And then do a little research before you go, sure. Yeah, Yeah. I think think that's the kind of responsible tourism that you, I'm hoping the world goes is heading towards. I, I am seeing a lot more it's of it. Slowly so that's happening. I mean, when you see, you know, like Barnum Bailey closed down and no more animals and, and, on that, uh, and you're looking at, you know, SeaWorld getting real pressured and, and shutting down lots of exhibits. So it's slowly happening, but and we just hopefully just keeps, that trend keeps going. We're volunteering. I think, Evelyn, that's another thing. I think there's some conservation efforts in the, in every country where they're trying to do things to help animals. So for, for, for in Vietnam, you can go to say Vietnam's um, wildlife and they have a pangolin rehabilitation program and you're not interacting with the pangolins but you can kind of you can see their enclosure you can learn about them you can volunteer and help so you can learn something and do something nice at the same time I think in America I'm sure you know each community in different different towns have different things but there's probably a, a government conservation or a private conservation program that you could look up and and see who's doing the right thing and, and get involved that way yeah you know, you mentioned, obviously, the documentary Tiger King didn't really do much to explore this. But, you know, you it sounds like you're covering this story. Would you ever consider doing a documentary yourself on the story that you're already covering? Could, do you, do you um, feel you have that capability or desire? I, I'm so – yeah, a little bit. I'm, I'm so focused on, on this project, which is I'm, – I'm going – you know, I'm, my project is really about humans that are doing good things for animals. So <laughs> these guys are kind of the opposite of, of what I'm trying – to capture i have seen someone i think it was uh steve winter that did a great great piece i don't know if it won world press or not but on sort of that community and i think there are people doing amazing stuff in that community i'm 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 trying to bring the positive human element to it so people care more the people that don't care about animals but care about people maybe you can talk them in you know convert them over into having a little bit of respect a little bit of care for the environment and for animals so yeah some of that's interesting but my i'm so many stories lined up for my project, which is which focuses on people that are doing, you know, personally doing doing things to help animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. But uh, I know it was picked up by Petapixel. They've republished it. Has that extra attention garnered? You know, 
good comments and stuff like that. I don't know if you saw the comments on Megapixel. <laughs> I know they're mostly a, a toxic place, anyways. But I'm just curious. It's as... pretty toxic, and I'm, I'm pretty, <laughs> I, I, I I like my ecosystem. I like to put it out there and have other people talk. But in my world and my website, I get the people that ask me the right <laughs> questions. <laughs> I haven't looked at them. I'm Keep sure it tribal and isolated. <laughs> maybe after a couple beers one of these nights, I'll take a look and maybe I'll have some. I'll stir up some stuff. But <laughs> I, I really am trying to be. You know, I've I've lived in Southeast Asia. I've seen so many horrible things with animals. I, I tried to avoid it. I was a little bit of a coward avoiding it. I was asked to cover stories that I didn't think I could stomach. So this is. You know, I, I get I get angry and I don't want. I don't want to feel that so much. But I felt like I, I wasn't doing my part and hiding from it was was cowardice of me so i being back into these stories you know uh, that's important to me and then i will go on there and check these these comments out maybe you know some already that were negative i don't know but i wrote a lot of articles that have been published on there and i i mean geez never write an article about like the cameras i've learned that lesson jesus i had so many people go off on me because of how expensive cameras are i can imagine what they're saying about about this kind of stuff so yeah, I, I try to read the comments, but mo may, mostly in my world, the comments that I've been getting is people saying, thank you for bringing that up. A lot of people, my friends, I don't have children, but a lot of my friends that do have children said, this is great. It gives me something to talk about my kids with uh, because, you know, even some of them are teenagers. They're watching it and they're they're not having these conversations at all. They're looking at it as like this, you know, trashy people doing trashy things. So uh, I think uh, overall the feedback has been quite positive and that, that's good. That's a good start. So that's my little part to help i guess indeed well we can't have an episode of this show go by without talking about covid19 and of course the effects <laughs> it's having on our society and the world um we'll start with you evelyn you know uh you're actually going out to do a shoot right you're going out to cover something here very soon yes i i, I have to figure this out when we're done but it's going to be a portrait of people sitting on their porch um which goes really? to <laughs> oh my gosh I, I did not know that <laughs> well that's so, Perfect. I got to call them. So I'm taking a portrait of a couple sitting on their porch with their masks on because that's what they've been doing to socialize. And yes, the irony is that's <laughs> our next. Of course, this story <laughs> is from the Canadian Photography Association saying, "Tell stop taking pictures of people on their porch. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Whoa. Evelyn, what do you think about this? I mean, you know, this article and sort of their opinion basically saying like, hey, this is dangerous and you're going to increase exposure, yada, yada, yada. I felt this is a little bit overblown. But what do you think? I mean. Yeah, I thought it was overblown. I mean, you know, it, it sounded like they were targeting. It was talking about people who weren't necessarily doing it for journalistic purposes. They just wanted to take family portraits or document this era and people wanted these types of things. Yeah. And that's fine. I don't know how social distancing would be affected by that. I feel like you can definitely keep your space and you'd probably be standing on a street. Um, I thought it was overblown. Um, I don't know as a photojournalist how else I'm supposed to go take a portrait of a couple we're writing an article about, and that seems like a pretty fit, safe way to to go about it. Um, I don't have to go in their house. I can stay outside on the sidewalk. Um, you know, I can keep my distance shoot with a long lens. I'll be wearing a mask. So, yeah, yeah that was a little bit. I, I mean, maybe they're really going – wasn't it in Canada? Like, maybe they're going yeah. crazy in Canada. People photographing. I When I initially saw the headline, I thought of it more as like a privacy issue. Do you have, and, and that's what I thought it was going to be about, but right. that's not what it was about. It was about just don't go take pictures because I did have that come up as a privacy issue. Um, for a story I did on the Instacart for the post, my editor said, because I had people sitting on their porches in the background and that's technically your house. Yeah. So do you have, do you, or do you, can you expect privacy? Yeah. And uh, 
I thought the people were blurry enough, but they ended up just picking different photos. Um, but that that is a different issue. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I was thinking the same thing because essentially you're identifying these people by name and you're showing the front of where they live. So it's like if someone wanted to be bad or something like that, they could potentially, you know, okay, now I know who you are and where you live. You know, that was I was thinking the same thing with regard to privacy. Yeah. But no, they're like they're saying things like, oh, somebody could walk next to you on the street. Or a child could run over to hug you, or you would want to fix their hair or pose the client. Yeah, I can see that. That's not a, f- a photojournalism problem there. That's Kids don't want yeah, to hug me yeah. anyways, you know. I mean, in, in normal time, <laughs> my kids don't want to hug me. So right. I don't have to worry about strangers' yeah. kids wanting to hug me. Yeah, I, 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 I thought it was overkill. So, Travis, how about you? You're always looking for projects and things to keep yourself uh, occupied. Do you think yeah. you ever do no, photography? I've, 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 I've touched upon this uh, for several reasons. Um, One of the people that started doing the porch photography, I interviewed on my Open Talk uh, uh, photographer's program several weeks ago. Uh, And uh, he's a Sony artist in Paul Giro, and he's one of the people that really kind of started this whole porch thing. But now it's sort of like, you know, um, you know, People are like, well, what? I'm a photographer. I have to make money. Maybe I'll do porch sessions. I'm like, this is not the, you know, you're not making money from porch sessions. And yeah. and also, you know, the, a lot of these people are, aren't going to be, you know, when you're talking about being socially conscious of going out, when you leave your house, like, you're going to go touch things and you're going to touch people. I don't care how careful or safe you are. You're exposing yourself to more harm and other harming other people. So there comes responsibility with that. And, and I don't know if these, a lot of these people that are saying, oh, I need to do port sessions are going to be that responsible. Um, and uh, you get to a point where now it's just played. It's like, it's like train tracks. Like it's been done. Don't do it. It's mm-hmm. just like you know, everyone's already, it's the idea is gone and done. If you were the first couple of people to do the porch sessions, <laughs> yeah. good. You, you came up with a great idea. Now, don't do it. You know, it's like everyone's done it already. Uh, pick something else to do, you know. Um, Photograph discarded so, masks. Yeah, there's, you know, this is, this, <laughs> we've ever had a time like places. this. This is one of the most mass uniting uh, historical moments that we're all going through at the same time. There are so many stories that need to be told. And as an artist, this is where your voice and the, the archives and documentation of this time in the future is going to be so important. You know, document how your life is being affected, how your circle is being affected, how you want to, you know, uh, your voice and, and it wants to be heard. Because in the future, this is going to be important. And as photo artists, this is really an important time to figure those out. It could be just your, you know, your, you know, you eating breakfast cereal at home, or you know, it's just, it, it, there's so many ideas and so many things to be done. Don't leech off of other people's ideas. There's because there's just too much out there that needs to be documented. Yeah. That may be true, um, and maybe, again, it goes back to, like, our constant theme of lack of creativity or originality, which goes back to the, the story we talked about last week. But I don't know if I would want to tell people not to do something because it's being done. The question is whether this is safe or not. And, like, if you go, you know, if you do it in the right way, I mean, we're still going to the grocery store. I'm still leaving my house. I'm still There's a difference, though. You, you have to eat to survive. You you have to go to the grocery store to get food. You don't have to go and shoot that portrait. You're not making enough money off of that right now. You know, you know. It's like I don't know. I, I think you're putting other people's lives at risk just to shoot something. You know, and I think they're granted. There's there's people. You know, if you're doing it and you're making money off it, and making a living off it, that's one thing. People are doing it just because it's the thing to do. And I, I just, I have a problem with, you know, doing something that could be potentially harmful to other people and yourself just to do it. 
But you're okay like, with it if you make enough money doing it. So if there's a money, yeah. if there's enough money no, you make, then you're okay with it. socially responsible. You have to be socially responsible too. Like if I'm taking the right precautions and, and putting on the face mask and, 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 and socially distancing and, and doing things responsibly, go to it. You can you can do anything. You can go out and, sh and shoot the, the New York City that way. You can go and do it. If you're socially responsible that way, I just, there's a mask. Unfortunately, I'm not, you know, uh, I don't have a lot of trust in, in, in faith in humanity right now after seeing you know, people running onto <laughs> the beaches either. protesting and stuff like that. People are not being responsible. So the people that are, are up in arms like, well, I could go and photograph something. It's like those probably aren't the ones that are being that responsible. Then, you know, the photojournalists like you and, and stuff like that, they're going to do this are probably going to be very responsible doing it. But they're if you're saying the masses no it's okay go photo you go photo shoot you know portraits that's fine you know there's no worry about it no there is a worry about it and you need to you know say yes you can do it but these are the rules you have to adhere to when you're doing it you know i was thinking like i, guess I want to take umbrage though with like it's been done i feel like you can say that about every single story on the planet that so was my sole reason for not doing it i'm just like it's just like you can that's always do it differently. Added, that's another added thing to it. You know, it's like my, my, my first thing is just being safe. If you want to go shoot portraits, that's great, but make sure you go, you know. I, I, it's, it's, the, the sole reason isn't, but but it also adds to it. It's like it's not an original idea anymore, and, you know, you're doing it just because everyone else is doing it. Come on. Well, you know what will be um, the next thing? We're not going to do it because of that. What do you say, Justin? There's no porches here, so I don't have to worry about this debate. <laughs> Well, you know what will be the next big story, and, and Justin, you're going to be at the <laughs> forefront of this, is covering people going back to normal life, you know? Because you're, you got zero. Say that one more time. I, I, you blocked out. Well, I said the next big story and the next big thing people are going to start covering is the return to normal life. You know, people being out, I mean, you yep. know, in terms of, you know, as we phase back into sort of normal life, I mean, that's something that if you were to cover it, you know, if you were to cover that sort of aspect of it, you would do that in Vietnam more so, I think, than anywhere because, you know, hopefully you guys are going to be poster children for the recovery, right? Because you got zero and, you know, a few more weeks, right? You'll be COVID-free. Yeah. You'll start to see that. I won't personally be covering things like that. I, I am, like, really focused on all all things related to my project. I have... I do that, and I mix that with commercial work. But I do, I do see that you know starting to happen here. I bet that will happen in the next couple of weeks. Uh, people covering the yeah, going back to normal life and all that kind of stuff. But I, I will be looking at ways to sort of integrate going back to normal and how it affects the wildlife industry, the wildlife well, not industry, but like how you know people and stories related to wildlife. You know, we mentioned the protests earlier. Evelyn, has there been any sort of pinging of you to cover any of the protests? Would you cover the protests if they were sort of near your area? Um, I would. Yeah, there was one in Annapolis, I think. People were mostly in their cars, though. I don't think, I'm not sure they were out on the street. Um, I would, but that's just me. And, um, you know, I've done conflict. To me, it's like conflict, and I, I've done that my whole career. Um, I do think there's danger, and I think that you have to be careful, and there's a yeah. risk of exposing yourself. And I feel the same way when I go to the supermarket as well. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't turn it down. But I think it's perfectly in anyone's photographer's right to not feel compelled to have to cover something like this because they could bring it home. They, you know, you just don't know their situation. Um, and it's not like you're just putting yourself in danger because it's an, a virus. You know, you could spread it to other people and you may have to make that choice because it may not work for you or your family. But I would. Yeah, I think when we first started talking about, like, covering this as a story – 
Like I never saw, I, I knew people would get fed up with being, you know, cooped up eventually, but I, I just never thought like it would actually erupt into protests the way it has. And even when yeah. we were talking about like, what, what can we cover related to COVID-19? Well, we can cover empty streets, people in masks, people wearing gloves. But I never, we never thought like, oh, and the protests, we'll cover the protests. So that's an interesting sort of how that's evolved over time. And you don't see that anywhere else. Like there were never any, I, I haven't seen protests anywhere in any other country well, I don't this. want to get too political on it, but if you see where the you know the organizations of starting these protests and the, and the right you know where you know from you know the DeVos you know, you know friends and family and and you know it, it tracks it back to a very specific people that are starting these yeah. and uh, it's very right and it's very targeted at yeah. Democrat states and it's uh it's frightening that this is being used as a tool to uh, you know affect politics and and uh, and partisanship. It's 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 horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying yeah. and. Uh, is taking advantage of people, and uh, and it's it's very scary. And baffling to be, you know, living here, living abroad for over over a decade, and people just turn to me like I have the answers. I don't. I haven't been there in ten <laughs> years, but, you know, and I, I don't understand it either. It's 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 confusing to me that that this is something that people would protest over. <laughs> yeah. It is odd looking at from like again being in South Korea where they've handled it so well, and then looking at you know America. Like there's the disconnect, right? Like what? What? Why are you guys? What's yeah. going on over there? Yeah. My yeah. friends are confused about why they look at Vietnam. Like, oh well, you know, Vietnam's still classified as a third world country. Like, how come you guys are handling it so well? Like, well, people that we don't have it in us. <laughs> it's not one. There's not protesting here, but people are organized. People care about their families. They care about multiple generations. Multiple generations live within the same house. They have respect for for the elders, and and they have you know there's, respect for the government's and message, and they follow it. Is something to be said from one direction, one voice. Yeah, um, there is. And and uh, when you know, unfortunately, here we we have multiple voices in multiple states and multiple leaders that we're looking to. Some people just listen to Cuomo, and some people just listen to Trump, and some people. Right. And and when you have conflicting messages and conflicting ways to deal with it from state to state, uh, and you know, it's just it's a it's a mess. It's, it shows just so how how kind of unprepared we are for this. And it's yeah. you know, it's uh, yeah, hopefully we learn from this, but we don't tend to. Scary. You know what original photo assignment I can think of with regard to people on porches is you bring out a baby tiger to the people on the porch, you pose them together. That that has not been done tiger. before. <laughs> no one that, have a baby that's tiger. true. That has not been done. If you can get your hands on a baby tiger for this assignment, <laughs> Boy, I mean that that's the zeitgeist right there. That's Pulitzer Prize winning right there. I'm that's, telling that's you, that's the perfect uh, marriage of things you know that that are in the zeitgeist: porch photography, COVID, and baby tigers. Just mix all that together. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then there was the, yeah there was the, there was the tiger with COVID. You can mix in mullet cuts. Oh, forget about it. <laughs> uh, and when that. At least, if we're going to say so, something positive, so, at least people are paying attention to the illegal wildlife trade, not related to the Tiger King, but because. Of, of COVID nineteen, so people are paying attention, and that that's nice. Just, just a follow up on this, uh, which could lead into the next review of a documentary. Did anyone see "Don't Fuck with Cats"? No, I heard about it. I, I would, that was another one. I'm like, oh, is that going to no. be cruelty to animals in the magnet? So it's it's one of those ones that I didn't want to watch because I thought it was you know it's all based yeah. on premises that that you know some internet people see a, a terrible video about you know domestic right. cats being and uh, they decide to hunt down the person through the internet uh, who made the video and it goes into more twisted tale of what you could not believe or write. That is, it's unbelievable. Like, I mean, it's, I and, it. and it's really well done. So uh, I would say, on my list. 
this is this is the next one we should discuss because you're not going to believe this and it's a three-parter it's 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 going to blow your mind <laughs> it's how crazy <laughs> Yeah, I've heard it. it's amazing. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. that's going to bring us to this end of this week's show. I do want to counter one point you said, Travis, but at least in, in my opinion, with regard to what I think of like photo assignments you can do, portrait photography seems like, or not portrait, family photography, portrait photography, or something. If you're going to do something, that seems like the one that's the most safe in that you can push the people away, you shoot from with a long lens. Anything where you can shoot with a long lens and not interact with your subjects, I think you're going to be okay. And, and, and what am I going to do as long as you're making... One last time. No. As long as you're doing... I did not... Don't do it. I said you have to take the right steps right. to do exactly. it. Exactly. PPE, <laughs> social distancing, wash your hands, wash your gear, just put your camera underneath the water, just dump it in a bucket of water, it'll be fine. No, don't do that. Don't do that. All right. Well, I think that's going to get to the end of our show this week. Uh, Justin, tell people where they can find about you more about you and your work. Uh, you can go to my personal website, which is justinmott.com, or my Instagram, which is just ask, A-S-K-M-O-T-T, ask Mott. All right. Great. Awesome. Uh, Travis. Thank you for the work. Don't yeah, keep thank it up. you for... Right. Thank do we, you, do we, Are we going to see really, any really. new articles from you about wildlife? And I'm sure, of course, they are, but... Well, I've got I've got time to write time to write research. I'm supposed to be photographing turtles in Austria right now, but <laughs> uh, I am researching a lot for my project, and I will I have a lot of free time, so I'll probably write some more. Awesome. Well, share them with us. We'll be happy to highlight them on the, AroundTheLens.com, our All website. Right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate your yeah, time. Thank you today. for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank Travis, you. you got anything for us before we sign off? Anything we can look forward to? You? No, I'm, uh, this week on my open talk, uh, I'll be talking with uh, Pulitzer Prize winning Alex Garcia. Uh, uh, he's amazing. And I'll be talking to, with uh, Adobe creator and uh, Sony artisan Katrina Eisman. Uh, so uh, that's going to be a good talk. And we're basically just talking about uh, photography in the age of COVID, uh, you know, what life was like before, what we're doing now, and what we envision the future being, uh, which is kind of a, a really important discussion of how we uh, are dealing with the, the issues now uh, as as, as photographers and, and creatives and what uh, world we think we're going to come back to. Yeah, I remember the before times, man. <sighs> yeah. So long ago. <laughs> yeah, Alex Garcia is a great guy. We've had him on our show twice, actually, uh, episode 164 and 179. So if you want to hear about him and get it prepared <laughs> oh. before you see him on your show, uh, go ahead and check those out. Uh, Evelyn, anything else going on with you besides your photo shoot today going on next week or so? I've got controversial porch photography <laughs> shoot. Thank you all. We're all my gear, Travis. Um, I'm but not yeah, worried about you. I'm not worried about you. Pretty quiet on the freelance front, but hanging in yeah, there. New job's so. a job, so take it and, you know. Absolutely. 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 Especially, have you, by the way, you know, uh, I think you should just photograph the porch. <laughs> I'm sure my editors will love that. Yeah. Just okay. the porch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is what I come back with. All right. Porch I'll try it. I'll see how that works. COVID. Literal porch photography. Okay. Like, okay, Gavilan, that was great working with you. We'll never work with you again. Oh, my gosh. Um, all right. Well, again, uh, this is going to end this week's show. If you want to follow us or learn more about what we're doing or uh, see the show notes from this week's episode, go to AroundTheLens.com, and you find links to all of our social media. And if you want to support the show financially, go to AroundTheLens.com or put, go to Patreon.com slash AroundTheLens, 
and you can submit uh, some money to our Patreon. I know it's not easy for anybody these days. Um, of course, with the, everything going on, everybody out of work and everything whatnot. But, you know, if you can support it, then great. Please do. If not, uh, maybe try supporting some of the photographers who are uh, currently struggling right now. We've already mentioned a couple of the funds that are existing for photographers. And I have links in last week's show, I believe. Uh, but I'll throw some links in this week's show. So, you know, if you can spare some money and buy some prints, those go to support the photographers. So let's all support us. So support each other so we can get through this together. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Justin, so much for being on the show. Truly appreciate it. You're always welcome back. Um, thank you, guys. Good luck with all the wildlife photography. You're doing some great work out there. For Travis Keys and Evelyn Hochstein, I am David J. Murphy. This has been Around the Lens, episode 221, and we are out. Thanks for listening to Around the Lens. We hope you enjoyed the show. To continue the conversation, head on over to one of our social media outlets such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. To support the show financially, consider donating to us via Patreon. For show notes from this week's episode and links to everything else we talked about, just go to our website, AroundTheLens.com. Finally, if you or someone you know might be a good guest for the show, get in touch with us via email at info at AroundTheLens.com. <laughs>